Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Glad you're part of Covenant this morning. Glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, we've been going through about the last six months, we've been going through a series called The Story. Um, we've started out back in January on this. It's kind of a, a big, broad view of the whole of Scripture. And we've been flying through every aspect of Scripture as we've gone along. We started back in January where we talked about our first parents, Adam and Eve, who were in the garden. Everything was perfect. Everything was great. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And in that disobedience to God, they separated themselves. God had to separate them from, from himself because of that. But he promised that in one day that there would be a seed. And that's what that picture over there represents is a seed that would come that would be bring about salvation, bring about rightness with God, an opportunity for God to crush the head of Satan who had deceived our first parents in Adam and Eve and who had brought them into that situation. And it would be an opportunity for people to be redeemed back to God. And he would take away, take, give us an opportunity for that. And what, like a couple weeks ago, Joel, our pastor, um, brought a, a message on, about salvation that comes through Christ, that Christ on the cross who died on the cross for our sins. And in the Gospels, we are told about this. He was buried. He rose again. That through that, we have life eternal. We have life with God. We have actually relationship back with God. And then last week, we looked at the beginning of the movement. The movement begins when the first 10 chapters of Acts. And we talked about the early church and some characteristics of the early church and the, the, the characteristics that allowed the early church to grow and to multiply. It all first started out on Pentecost where um, the Holy Spirit came. That Jesus had promised them the Holy Spirit would come. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter preaches and 3,000 people come to Christ on that day. And then from there, the early church begins to move and to grow. They were meeting in houses. They were helping each other. They were encouraging each other. And we talked about the characteristics of the early church that enabled to grow. Things like integrity, things like the providence of God, things like the Holy Spirit, things like time of fellowship and prayer. And those things that allowed the church to become what it was able to become a movement that started transforming people's lives. It started in Jerusalem. And it kept on moving from there. And we dealt with the first 10 chapters of, of Acts and that and the early movement of the church. But today we're going to go, we're going to go from there on. So we looked at last week, we looked at this, this uh, cell that we had, I had up here. Uh, basically the describing the early church in, in Acts. And uh, what the early church happened in Acts. We'll get it up there, but that's all right. Um, there it is. All right, so we have the early church in Acts. You have the epistles and the time frame. So you get a kind of a, an, an idea of the time frame, how things worked. You have the, the pastor or the Paul's epistle to the churches that happened during the writing of Acts, during the time frame and the historical uh, account in Acts. But then you have moving on, you have the uh, prison epistles that he writes and the pastoral epistles that he writes and those epistles that he writes. If you would like these slides, if you want to email 
uh, into our church offices. You can do that or call the church office. They'd be happy to send those to you. But this is the early church and what's going on in the early church and how these are. So my job today is basically cover from chapter 10 of Acts all the way to Jude. I'm not going to be able to do that, right? But we're going to hit on some very key important aspects of What's going on? The movement as the movement continues. Last week we looked at the movement beginning. This week we're going to look at the movement continuing. And how the movement of God continues in the early church. I've got another slide up here. Here it'll give you an even more detailed list of all the writings of all the books of the Bible or, or the New Testament. Who wrote them, place they were written, the time frame that they were written. Talking about the different uh, personnel aspects of it and different aspects of it. It's a great little uh, copy there to look at to, to get you a little more detailed information on that. So we look at the movement continues and how this movement continues. Well, the movement kind of has a leader that comes about. We know that the ultimate leader is Jesus Christ, right? But there's also leaders that fall under Christ that have to lead movements. Well, we know in Acts chapter 9, this leader comes out. We know a man named Saul, he's from Tarsus, but he's an unlikely candidate for the job of being leader of the early movement of the church. Because he saw was a devout Jew. He was a leader in the Jewish community. He was leader in the Jewish teachings and among the Jewish people. In fact, we know that Saul was the leader and a part of uh, the high priestly class. In, in Acts chapter 7, we read about the stoning of Stephen. We talked about that last week. And it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 58... Then they cast him out in the city, that's Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was standing there watching Stephen be stoned. And after watching Stephen be stoned, instead of being affected in a way I think I would be affected, like, oh man, wow, that's just heartbreaking. He looks up and starts getting permission from the Jewish leaders to persecute those who are following the way, as it was called at the time. And so he goes out into Jerusalem. He starts throwing people into prison. He starts killing Christians. He decides he's done enough in Jerusalem. He's going to go on to Damascus. And as he's going on to Damascus, a great light comes up, blinds him. And says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he cries out, who are you, Lord? See, here's a man who gets blinded. It's a dramatic way of happening, and it doesn't always happen that way in everybody's life, but it did happen in this way in his life. And Paul repents, comes to Christ, and after a period of time where he did not, was not on the public stage at all, he starts coming on the public stage in the early church of Jerusalem. He starts going out and telling people about Christ and going into other cities. In fact, he goes and writes a, a letter to the church at Galatia in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Acts, it's a response to Acts chapter 15. And in in Paul writes so much and does so many amazing things like this. In fact, he writes to, uh, 13 of the 27 New Testament books that we have. He goes on, he plants about 10 churches. But he does all these great things for Christ as a missionary for Christ, but he still considers himself not that great. In fact, he says of himself, for I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted 
the church of God. Here's Paul. Leader, teacher, church planner, mentor to several pastors. And his mindset is, I'm not the greatest among them. In fact, I'm the least because I persecuted the church of God before it happened. We can look at some of the things that Paul did on his journeys. He went to several different places. He went into Turkey, what is modern day Turkey on his first missionary journey, uh, represented by the Black Line, Cyprus, and on up into Lystra and uh, up into modern day Turkey. On his second missionary journey, which is the Purple Lines, he goes back to modern day Turkey over towards Ephesus and but over into, uh, uh, into Greece and deals, it works in Greece. And on his third missionary journey, he goes back to Greece again and back into Turkey again. And he, he goes in and plants more churches, teaches more people about Christ. And he had this philosophy on his ministry that he would do. And this is what he did. He would walk into a city, find the Jewish synagogue, start teaching about Christ or teaching about the Messiah from the Old Testament. And then present Christ as that Messiah that has come. He would lead people to Christ. They would plant a church. He would stay with them for a while. He would help nurture those churches. He would nurture those people and grow those people. He would go on. Many times he wrote letters back to them, and that's what we have in the New Testament letters that we have to these churches like Ephesus and, and Corinth and Galatia and Colossians and all these churches he would write back to to encourage them, to help them. If there was a problem that come up, they would, he would write a letter to them and help them with a problem. He would write letters to Timothy, who, dealt, uh, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, to encourage him and to strengthen him. And he would, that's what his job was. And he was the forerunner of the early church and helping the early church grow and expand throughout the known region. Paul did some amazing things. And, you know, many times we look at people like Paul who just, wow, and you go, wow, he just, it's amazing. But remember what he said about himself. I'm the least. Here's that, what that should tell us when we read that about Paul. The same things God did through Paul, and the same types of things God did through Paul, guess what? He can do through you. He can do those same things. Well, I could never preach. Well, you don't have to preach. Well, I could never tell so, you know, encourage someone or mentor someone. No, you don't have to do that either. But you can still be used by God. God can take your personality, can take your education, your personal experience, all the things that you've gone through in your life and the things that and he can use those to help other people, encourage other people. And you can do things because your strength doesn't come in your abilities or your knowledge or who you are. Your strength comes in who God is. And Paul will attest to that over and over again, that it is Christ in him that allows him to be who he is. And guess what? It's Christ in you that allows you to do great things for God. It's not your abilities necessarily. It's Christ in you. And when you allow God to work into your life and Christ to work in your life in amazing ways, you can do things like Paul did. You can affect change in people's lives. You can encourage people. You can strengthen people. You can help people. You can tell people about Christ. You can take a step that you're not will, nor, normally willing to take for Christ. And so when we read people in the Bible that do great things about, for God, we need to read them in that way that, hey, they're just like us. They're just ordinary people doing extraordinary things because they have an extraordinary God, not because they're extraordinary. And their trust and their faith is put in God. 
and they're walking with him. So that's what we need to realize. When we read Paul, it's great to read about Paul. But when we read Paul, we get encouragement because God can use us too. And I love Paul as a leader. He does some great things, says some great things. In fact, there's an early confrontation that comes up. He actually has to confront. Here's the crazy thing. Here's Paul, young in the faith. Transformation on the Damascus Road. And he has to approach Peter, one of the original apostles, and tell Peter he's wrong about something. You realize that? In Galatians, the first part of Galatians, that's what he tells the, tells the church at Galatia. He calls him by, he calls him, doesn't call him, he calls him by his Cephas, which is the same as St. Peter. And he tries to tell Peter he's wrong about something. And in fact, what was going on was what you see in Acts chapter 15 with the early church. See, what was going on in Acts chapter 15 when the early churches, some of the people were coming to Christ, people were coming to Christ. And all of a sudden, there were people from other backgrounds besides Jews. There were Gentiles coming to Christ. They didn't look like Jews. They didn't act like Jews. They didn't do the same practices as the Jewish Christians were doing and had been doing and grown up with as a Jew. And so the Jewish Christians looked at them and says, you know what? There's some things that need to be changed about them. One of the things is the men need to be circumcised. They need to start practicing some of the Jewish traditions that they have in order to be a follower of Christ. That's what they had to do is according to these Jewish leaders. Peter was of that mindset at first. Then he changed his mind. He was transformed. And what happened in the early church, in the church in Acts chapter 15, in this Jerusalem council, and they dealt with this question, do Gentiles have to become Jews in practice to be true followers of Christ or true Christians? And some Jewish leaders said they needed to, be, they needed to come to Christ and believe in Christ, but they also need to maybe be circumcised or follow some other tradition. The Jerusalem Council reached the conclusion the Gentiles did not have to submit to Jewish practices and traditions, which I am very thankful for this day because I like bacon. Everybody likes bacon, right? And, you know, if you were still doing the same practices, Jewish practices, you couldn't do that because of the food. It was one of the forbidden foods or one of the forbidden was eating a pig. So now we have that opportunity. And so to becoming a Christian doesn't mean that I have to convert completely to that mindset of the Jewish people. And that's what Paul writes to the church of Galatia. And basically the, the uh, book of Galatians is a, uh, an account of what it means to be a true follower of Christ based on what was going on in Je Acts chapter 15 with the, church, uh, the Jerusalem council. Well, let's look at Galatians a little bit and what Paul argues in Galatians Reasons why we don't have to follow Jewish tradition. The first thing he gives out is that Christ is the perfect substitute. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, what would happen when someone would bring a sacrifice to the temple to be, to be sacrificed for their sins? They would have to be, the animal that they would bring would have to be inspected by the priest. It would have to be found without blot or a blemish or spot or, or defect. It would have to be the perfect sacrifice. What do we know about Jesus? He was without sin. He was perfect. He was without spot or blemish in that way, and therefore he is the perfect substitute for our sins. In fact, uh, we, we need to realize this, that Christ, when we realize that Christ died for us, he died 
as a perfect man, but he took on all of our sins. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me, within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, this is what Paul's telling you there. Christ, God treated Christ as if he were you, and he treats you as if you're Christ. And that now that because of what Christ did on the cross, because he is the perfect substitute, he is without blot or blemish, he takes on our sin, and therefore now we are considered clean because of what Christ did. Not because we've achieved something, not because we did something to make ourselves look better, not because we tried to do things the right way. No, because Christ is the perfect substitute. He's the only one that can do that. Paul also argues in the book of Galatians that the salvation comes from God. Salvation doesn't come from human attempts, but because uh, God sent his son to, to take our place. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying that I didn't create this, nobody created this. This is something that God has only given and God could only do. Because when man gets in the middle of religion, guess what? It gets in the middle and tries to do something for God. Guess what? It gets messed up. God did the perfect thing, did it the right way the first time, takes care of it all. Christ is the only way that you come to God. In fact, you can take every world religion and put it in one hand and say they, this is basic. the basics of every other world religion is this. Do everything you can. Follow our path Live a perfect life. Pray so many times. Do. is basically the idea of every other world religion in the world. And you will achieve our version of whatever heaven or nirvana or whatever you want to say it is. You'll achieve those things if you follow a certain and do certain things. Christianity, on the other hand, says Christ has already done it. God sent his only son to die on a cross for our sins so that we can have forgiveness of sin, where we can have new life, we can have right relationship with him. It's a free gift for anyone. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to pray so many times a day. You don't have to make sacrifices. You don't have to do anything. God's already done everything that you need to ha- that needs to be done in order for you to come to salvation. God's done it all already. Paul also taught that being made right in Galatians, that being made right with God does not come by works of the law, but by faith. Trusting that what Christ did on the cross takes care of what needed to be done to allow us to come into right relationship with him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul writes, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You can't live up to the standard. You know what the law was that given to us for? Why did we have the Ten Commandments? You ever thought about this? One of the reasons we have it? So that we realize that we can't do it on our own. 
We need some outside, something from outside of ourselves that we can't, because we can't achieve it. We need something outside of ourselves to bring us into right relationship with God. Guess what? That person came, died on the cross for our sins, Jesus Christ. The law doesn't save. Christ is the only one that does. And that's one reason we have the law is we realize we can't do it. We can't live perfectly. And therefore, we need God. Paul also writes in the book of Galatians, to require the works of the law takes away grace, faith, and freedom. If we have to work to do something, where's the grace? If we have to work to do something, where's the faith? If we have to work to do something, where's the freedom? They're not available because you become a slave to having to do all those things. Paul says, no, Christ did it, it's done, it's taken care of. We can move our, live our lives for God at this point in time. Another thing he argues is being made right with God is seen in the Old Testament, in the, uh, in the life of Abraham, in the prophecy of Habakkuk. You have this, he argues in the, back to the Old Testament, the life of Abraham who lived his life by faith. He faithfully trusted God that God was going to provide a substitute. He was going to take his, Abraham took his son up to be sacrificed and he trusted that God was going to provide. And God provided. He lived his life by faith. He, Paul also deal, draws back to the Habakkuk. And Habakkuk says this, the just shall live by faith. The just don't live by works, just don't live by ability, just doesn't live by any other way but trusting God and what he's done. The just shall live by faith. The follower of Christ has died with Christ to sin and disowned the flesh. It's also what Paul teaches. Sin should no longer rule over us because Christ now lives in us. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, it says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, here's what happens. The, we come to Christ. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. And our desires for things that are not of God fall away. Our desires for things that are not what He wants, what He desires, His perfect will for our lives start to fall away because we start living our lives for God. And we realize that, hey, he did so much for us, we want to do so much for him. It's, an, it's not an obligation that we have to do it. It's a desire to do it because of what God did for us. And so, therefore, we have this opportunity to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the source and power and guidance in the Christian life, Paul argues. Paul, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We walk by the Spirit every day. It's what helped the early church become great and strong and powerful and the ability to see lives transform in a mighty way for God's kingdom. Because the Spirit was in the people. We don't try to walk in the flesh because the flesh leads to things that are not beneficial for our lives. We try to walk by the Spirit because the things of God are beneficial to our lives and help us to become better people. 
we have to walk by the Spirit. It's something that is important for our lives in every way of our life. Paul also talks about in Galatians, a follower of Christ's life seeks to please Christ as our master and not people. I should say a follower of Christ seeks to please Christ as our master and not people. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The book of Galatians is a powerful book. If you've never sat down and read it and taken time, it's, it it's, 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 brings us and draws us back to the simple things of God, the simple truth of the Scripture, that Christ died for our sins. And it's no longer how we want to live. It's no longer how we want to do things. It's because God has done things for us so great. Our love and our devotion to him is an outflow of what he, because of what he's done for us. And we live our lives differently. Not because we're obligated to, but because we desire to. Because we want to walk by the Spirit. And we want to live our lives differently from the world around us. We want to do things differently because it means that we live with a different moral code. We live in a different integrity because we want to be people that represent Christ to the world. Flip on over to Galatians, or not Galatians, 2 Corinthians, if you will, if you're in your Bibles. Chapter 5, verse 20. The final thought on this is that the church is Christ's ambassadors to the world. So one it become, has become over the past several years one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Now, y'all know what an ambassador is, Right? We have ambassadors that are people from the U.S. that go into other countries and they represent the interests of the United States in those countries. They're called our ambassadors. So we have ambassadors to England and France and all these different countries. And their job is is to represent the United States to those countries, the leadership and the dignitaries in those countries to talk about what are important to the United States. Other countries do the same thing. They, They come into the U.S., they have embassies here, they have ambassadors here that plead their case of what they believe is important to those specific countries, to the government of the United States. And it goes back and forth, and it's been that way for years. Guess what? That's the same thing in here. We are ambassadors. We are God's representatives in a foreign land. We are God's representative. We are pleading with people, come be reconciled to Christ. That's what the early church did. That's what we are to do as followers of Christ. As we live our lives, we are to do that. Assemble together, the church belongs to Jesus, and we are to think like Jesus, act like Jesus, love others like Jesus loved others. That's what it means to be an ambassador. We are to do things in order to reach out and love people, no matter what, they, what their background is, who they are, where they come from. We are to love them like Christ loves them. What did, how much did Christ love them? He died on the cross for their sins. And we are to represent Christ, that testimony, that message to the world around us, what Christ has done in us and through us to the world. 
We are God's ambassadors. We are to represent Christ. The church has been commissioned to go into the, the entire world. We talked about Acts chapter 1 verse 8 last week. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's our job. As followers of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not among, in our own abilities, because of what, but in the abilities that God gives us through his spirit, we are to be his ambassadors and tell the world about Christ. It's an important job we have. Because see, here's what happened. Years ago, when Christ died, he rose, he ascended into heaven, he gave his testimony to his disciples. His disciples passed it on to other people. Those people passed it on to other people. And those people passed the message of Christ on to other people. And those people passed the message of Christ on to other people. And guess what? It eventually came to all of us that have received Christ. I can tell you a story about my where my spiritual heritage, part of my spiritual heritage comes from. I had an uncle. My mom was the fourth of six in her family. My uncle David was invited to church as a teenager to, by some of his friends. He came to Christ. He went home, told his parents, his brothers and sisters. They came to Christ. My mom was one of those people, came to Christ my mom started dating my dad. My dad was not a Christian. One day my mom looked at my dad and says, you know what? If you're not going to follow Christ, we can't date anymore. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Later on, my dad was at a revival service led by a man named W.A. Criswell, who was pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. I got to later shake W.A. Criswell's hand and thank him because he preached a sermon. My dad heard it. He came to Christ my mom and dad got back together and they were devoted to Christ. And now I'm here. I have three kids. And my job is to pass that testimony on to them. My job is also to pass that testimony on down to other people as I come in contact with them on a regular basis in my daily work, what I do out in the world. That's being an ambassador. I want you to get a picture in your head real quick. I want you to get a picture of your head, in your head of a castle. It could be a Gothic castle, English castle, whatever you want. However you want to picture this castle. But you know, you know what a castle looks like. It's got a moat. It's got big tall walls. It's got, uh, it's got towers that, that look down on the entrances to the, to the door and the gate. It's got a big gate that's closed. You got your picture of your castle in your mind. As you're thinking about that picture in the castle in your mind, I want you to think back to Matthew chapter 16. Peter asked, or Paul, uh, Jesus asked his disciples an important question. And the question is, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they go, well, some say a prophet, some say you know, Elijah. And he asked him this question, who do you say that I am? And Peter pulls his foot out of his mouth real quick and blurts out an answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says something very important in there. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. The rock is this. 
Jesus is the Christ. So he says this, on this rock I will build my church. And he says this very important thing. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Okay, you got your picture of your castle in your mind. What side of the castle are you on as a follower of Christ? Are you inside? Are you outside? Now, if you said you're on the inside, I'm sorry, you're wrong. At least in my framework and what I understand Jesus just said, right? Jesus has said the gates of hell will not overcome it. If we are followers of Christ, we're not on the inside. We're on the outside banging on the door of hell, asking people to come be reconciled to Christ. We're pleading with people, come be reconciled with Christ. We are standing on the gates of hell. Standing at the gates of hell is what Jesus' picture that Jesus portrays there. We are standing outside the wall. We are standing at the gate. We are pleading people, come be reconciled with Christ. See, many times in churches in our lives, we want to wall ourselves in and put ourselves inside the castle so that the world can't get in. But Christ says we're supposed to be in the world as his ambassadors telling people about Christ. The good news of salvation that Jesus Christ died for their sins. He rose from the grave to give you eternal life. He's righted the relationship that was wronged by our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And now we have the ability to live the way God wants us to live. Not in our own ability, not in our own smarts, not in our own anything that we have. Whatever you've got that you think is great and good, we live for Christ through the Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. And we stand at the gates of hell, pleading with people, come be reconciled with Christ. That means we live our lives a little differently. That means we do things a little differently than other people. That means we don't talk the way some other people talk. We don't say some of the things that other people say. We live, act in a different way. So that people see Christ in us. We are his ambassadors. That's what made the early church so different. And here's the thing. We talked about last week, the movement began. This week we're talking about the movement continues. Well, guess what? It never stops until Jesus comes back. The movement that started with the early church and the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came, continues to this day through the lives of everyone who follows Christ. <coughs> And we live our lives differently because of what Christ has done in us. And we now are not the same, but we are his ambassadors to the world around us. Where are the gates of hell in your life? And who's standing on the other side of them? Who are those people? That God has put into your life that God wants you to be his, his ambassador to them to tell them, be reconciled to Christ. Your neighbors, your family. Who is it? Who are you, it, who do you need to be God's ambassador to? Oh, but it gets messy, doesn't it? 
It got messy in the early church. People started coming in. People started not looking like other people. People started not acting like other people in the church. Guess what? Not everybody's like you, and aren't we all glad that not everybody's like me? It would be a terrible world if everybody was like me. It'd be great for me. But people are different. We have people from different backgrounds, different opportunities, different situations in their lives. And guess what? God has pleaded with every one of us, come be reconciled to Christ. And if you have been reconciled to Christ, God is telling you, go out and plead with others. Be reconciled with Christ. What are you doing differently to tell people about Christ? How are you being God's ambassadors to the world around you? And it doesn't take far, because guess where the mission field begins? Sometimes it begins in your own home. But if it's already happened in your own home, guess where it starts? The second you step outside the door of your house. Be reconciled to God. Are you his ambassadors? Because guess what? Wouldn't you love to get to heaven? And people walk up to you and say, because of you, because you did something in my life, because you said something to me at an important time in my life, because you brought me a meal one night and I wondered why you would do that. Because you prayed with me when nobody else cared. I was reconciled to Christ. I got a glimpse into that several years ago when I was coming out. Of, well, actually, when I was in college, I had a friend of mine in high school. Well, he wasn't a friend in high school. He was a more of an enemy in high school. Vincent Holmes. Played football together with Vincent, and Vincent decided he was, for some reason, didn't like me that much. I don't know why. And every time I turned around, he would try to pick a fight with me. Walk into the locker room to get ready for football. He'd hit me upside the head. I'd look at him and just walk away. Now, there was this part of me, the reason I walked away was because I was scared to death of the guy because he was nuts. But there was also that part of me, I really don't, I'm not a fighter. I don't like to fight people. I mean, people get scared of me. I'm a big, ugly, burly man, and people get scared of me, and, but I'm not, I'm actually a big teddy bear if you want to know the truth. And I don't fight. It's not in my nature. Vincent would try to fight me. Vincent would try to fight me. And every time I turned around, Vincent, one day he was playing nose guard. I was playing center. I got over the ball before the quarterback told me to hike the ball. Vincent just blew me up, knocked me backwards for no reason. I stood up, walked five yards forward, said, thank you for the five yards, and walked back to the huddle. A couple years after we graduated, I was back home. I was in the gym at our high school. It was an open gym weight room we could come in and use it and I was working out and I saw Vincent walk by and I said hey man what's going on he looked at me and says I need to tell you something I need to talk to you okay Vincent what do you need to talk about why don't you come to my house I was like oh, I don't know if I want to come to your house Vincent he said okay well we sit here and talk for a little bit he says February this was in summer he said February this year he said I was selling drugs my parents told me I had to go to church that night. I was ready to go sell a bunch of cocaine to some people. I had to go, but my parents made me go to church. 
So I went to church with my parents. He said, the pastor looked at me that night and says, if you go sell drugs down in Dallas tonight, you're going to die. He said, I went home and flushed all the cocaine down the toilet. He said, I came to Christ that night. It's like, wow. It's a pretty powerful testimony. And he looked at me and he said something very intriguing. He said, and you're part of the reason why. It's like, what do you mean? He says, all those times I wanted to fight you. He said, Chris, I wanted to fight you more than I wanted to fight anybody in the school. And you wouldn't fight me and it made me angry every time you would walk away. You were the first one to ever show Christ to me. So you don't know what action, little action in your life, is going to, how it's going to affect people. You don't know what little thing in your life is going to change somebody's mindset or outlook and start to work on them and make them come to Christ. But here's the thing. We are called to be Christ ambassadors for a reason. And we are to make a difference in the world that we live in. We are to make an impact on people's lives in a way that they come to Christ every day. And you don't know what little act you've done in the past or little act you will do in the future in someone's life. But here's the thing. When you do it, guess what? You're representing Christ to the world. Are you reconciled? Are you Christ ambassadors? Only you can answer that question. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your love and your blessings on our lives. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be reconciled to Christ. That you sent your own son to die on the cross for us and Lord, we are so grateful for that. Lord, help us to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling that you've put on our lives as followers of you and your ambassadors. Help us to make an impact on the world around us. So that when we leave this earth, the world is a better place because you used us in a mighty way to bring glory and honor and praise to your name. Let our lives be a reflection of that goodness and grace to the world. In your son's name. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.